Welcome to Making Ships. We believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jim Carr, and I am joined in the studio with my good friend and co-host of three and a half glorious years, Mr. Jason Zanger. Jason, how you doing? Hey, Jim. It has been glorious, hasn't it? It has been glorious. We're still here. We're still alive, and we're still relevant. Yeah, we're still in the Digital Manufacturing and Design Innovation Institute in Chicago. So, Jim, hot... You know, one of the things that that really has been on my mind lately is managing growth. So I'm actually going to be making a big announcement to my team about how we're going to be reorganizing Zengers into two distinct business units that we can manage the growth a little bit better at Zenger. So what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be dividing up our business into what I would call the traditional business. And then what do I would call our VIP or our vending integration and productivity side. How do you guys manage growth at, at Car Machine and Tool? You know, growth is a little bit different for us rather than you. Sure. Customers, new prospects need to be nurtured and developed over time. I, I don't buy and resell like you do. I have to create a product. You know, they have to know what the brand is all about and they know what it is to work with Car Machine and Tool. Our business models are a little different in that respect. So, But as far as managing growth, the whole problem is if, if you've got a lot of orders, you need machines and you need people to output that work. So we're always constantly trying to stay ahead of the game. What is our lead times? How are things looking? Are we hitting our delivery dates? Are we falling behind? Do we need to hire new people? So really hasn't changed all that much. It's just the way we go about doing it has. Now, what we're doing is we're implementing a new ERP system that's going to be uh, a little bit more easy for us to see forward thinking a little bit more about where we're actually at so okay. and, yeah, and manage the growth. ERP systems help with that. And actually, this interview that we have today is, is an interview that I had with Julie Poulos from Red Caffeine. And we talk a little bit about the difference between sales and marketing, which we've talked about in the past on making chips. And Big we talk difference. about being prepared for growth because one of the things that Julie comments on is that you know when you amp up your marketing, Sometimes you get an influx of growth that you just don't know how to handle. You're and I feel like I'm intelligent from a marketing standpoint, like I understand it. But to be quite honest with you, I haven't done a lot of marketing for Zengers just because we've been growing without doing that. And I don't want to amp it up more than what we can handle. But stay tuned, Jim. The Zengers marketing machine is going to be amping up soon. All right, good. So I are love you it. Looking forward to seeing that's it. That's my party. That's where I'm happy. That's okay, what, good. Well, you that's get to what see I'm good at. What, what I can do too. So it's going to be coming soon. But before we go there, I have a manufacturing news, Jim. You do. I thought this one was cool. Uh, the title of the article is Two Area Schools Take Top Places in Statewide Manufacturing Awards Contest. I, I just love, love that. I love hearing about this because, you know, it just goes to these kids being excited about manufacturing and the title of what these kids were making a video about was what's so cool about manufacturing and some kids created videos about local manufacturing companies and talked about what was cool about manufacturing. Yeah, that's really cool, Jason. I love hearing success stories and and I love when I hear young people are trying to promote 
manufacturing. What grades were they from? They were actually middle school, Jim. So, right. so they were getting video? really young kids excited about manufacturing, and they went out to these local manufacturers to create these videos. Yeah, it was. I think it was really cool. It says that Governor Tom Wolf said in a statement, this program is a great way to connect manufacturers to the next generation of their workforce while providing students with a creative educational and fun way to get excited about future careers in manufacturing. And absolutely, that just about sums it up. And I think that that's great. Maybe we'll see these kids in the future at IMTS and they'll be the next generation of manufacturing leaders. Yeah. And you know, TMA, our uh, manufacturing association that we're both belong to has an annual precision machining competition that was just compiled in I think it was just last week or so, two years ago when I was chairman of the TMA, I actually went in and was asked to inspect some of the parts. Yeah, a lot of my customers are actually judges so for cool. that competition as well. And so. from what I understand, they are having a record amount of participants from the high schools in this precision machining competition. And it was really funny when I was there inspecting the parts, it was like, man, was there a diversity. A diversity in quality? A diversity in quality. And I said to myself, I wonder if some of these kids had parents or aunts and uncles or other family members in the trade because, I mean, the parts that I was inspecting look better than some of the parts that come out of my shop. Wow, and that's some great. Of them, some of them were really bad. I mean, holes, they missed the hole location by, you know, half an inch or so. But at the end of the day, it's great when I hear middle school people, especially, are getting involved and they're, you know what, they have those skills, they have that articulation that they can make videos and promote it to their peers to get them excited too because they're the influencers of the next generation. It's peer-to-peer. Yeah, absolutely. And if you go to whatsocool.org, you can actually see some of these videos. It's a great website that I think there's a lot of states out there and organizations should recreate a website just like that. So go to W-H-A-T-S-S-O. C-O-O-L dot org. Very cool. So what's new at uh, Zanger's, Mr. Zanger? Well, I think I just I just talked about it a little bit in that you did. You know, we're, we're going to be dividing up the company. We're going to be reorganizing what we call our accountability chart. And we're going to have two different business units. We're going to have two different people on our leadership team that are going to be running those two different business units. And we're going to be expanding out our leadership team. So I'm, I'm very excited for this. I think it's going to let these two groups of people within the company focus on these different customer types and their needs in a more succinct way. And I think it's going to be good for the company. Awesome. Can you keep us up to date on that? I definitely will. So I'm really anxious to hear Julie's interview with you. You know, she's one of my great friends, A. I've known her for over 10 years, and she always has something on the marketing and sales end of it. She's always got something really impactful to share with us. Yeah, so why don't, so, instead of people listening to you and I, why don't we go listen to Julie? Let's do it, man. <laughs> You know, it was one of the most humbling experiences that I saw when we were at IMTS 2016, Jason. What's that? Remember when we were in the IMTS TV booth and we were right across from the student center? All of those young millennials, those high school students, those elementary students, all of those young people. They're so excited. Learning about 
an industry that we are so impassioned about. Yeah, these are high school kids. That was awesome. I know. And IMTS 2018, I'm looking on their site, imts.com right now. I cannot believe how much they're trying to engage with that future workforce. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what, I brought my my young son, who is not anywhere close to high school, to IMTS. I ran into Doug Woods. He thought it was awesome that uh, my son Brady was there looking at all the machining technologies. And I would encourage manufacturing leaders out there, bring your kids, check it out, get them excited about manufacturing. Yeah, get on their site, look at their Smart Force Student Summit, Manufacturing Brighter Futures. I love that tagline. Julie, welcome to Making Chips. I'm so excited to have you back. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you about sales and marketing. I was so excited to come that I made a green smoothie this morning because you are awesome. always encouraging me to do that to start so my day. So you got yourself energized with the green smoothie, which I told you you need to start doing that every single day is drink that green smoothie. You know what's also a great way to start the day? Selling. <laughs> getting new clients. Those are all great ways to start the day. So drink your green smoothie and then close a deal. I think that's what we're going to be uh, talking about today. We've talked about on Making Chips a lot of time, that whole idea of what's the difference between marketing and sales. And the one thing that I always go back to is the whole idea of marketing is how do you get the customer pre-interested and pre-motivated in what you want to sell to them? And I don't know if you have a different definition that pops into your mind as far as the difference between marketing and selling, but that's kind of where I rest my definitions on. No, I think you're really on par with that. You know, what we find is that the whole intent of marketing is to support sales. Yeah, make it easy. And what historically we see is that sales and marketing is not aligned. And when it's not aligned, you're just not bringing your best. Yep, I agree. And so what we're going to talk about today is how do we get those two departments, those two expertises more in alignment with each other. Jace, the reason why, if you don't mind me kind of sharing, is why it's so important to us at Red Caffeine is because it's really impacted our business, right? So we have evolved over the many years to understanding we are only as good as how the companies we work with can take the marketing, the leads, and be able to do something with them. Quite frankly, we're also only as good as how organized a company is with inside themselves to help set the metrics that we're being judged by, right? Right. I mean, like in the manufacturing industry, it's not like you're selling a piece of software that you have to download. You have to actually get the order and make the parts. And if you don't have the capacity in your sales department or in your manufacturing or operations, you need to you know ratchet back that lever. To be quite honest with you, the reason I haven't put a lot of focus on marketing is because we're busy already. And a lot of these manufacturing companies are busy. Maybe they're not busy with the right clients, but you have to be aligned correctly in order to take in that new business. So you've had experience with clients of yours that just weren't ready for the influx of business that your marketing brought to them. Yeah. You know what? That's a great question, something to bring up. I want to share kind of like two different stories of two different spectrums because I think that this is identifiable with many people. So one side of the fence, this was years ago, but we were bringing a lot of leads to a company that had a, I think they had like five or six people in the sales organization, which was kind of big for some of the small to mid-sized manufacturers. 
but they were not equipped. They were not ready. They did not have the mind shift for what we were doing. And so despite what we tried to do in terms of helping them set up organization and structure with CRMs, with sales metrics, with monitoring, it couldn't go anywhere, right? On the other side of the fence, we were able to bring some leads to a different type of organization, and then it opened up operational flaws. So I think those are some of the reasons why your insides have to be really in order. So today we're going to talk about some of the key factors in getting sales enabled so then you're ready to turn on the marketing funnel. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. So what is the first key to being sales enabled? Okay, so we feel that there's two major factors. One on is sales process and, and one is technology to support that. Really kind of it all falls into just having organized infrastructure. You know, it just popped in my head, but we were talking about you and, and how you are able to now consult and provide consulting and continuous improvement. It's no different really within what that is. You have to have a, a healthy infrastructure to be able to, you know, lie these upon. So what is the first part about any type of continuous improvement? But documentation? Absolutely. And process. So you're talking about having a sales playbook. Exactly. And we're kind of going through that within our own organization. I think what happens so often is you just do. When you have only a few people working on the sales side, you're just doing and there's nothing structured and nothing organized. It's kind of the wild, wild west of sales. Oh my God. And I am a cowgirl on riding a bull. So that <laughs> that is exactly. And I think there's many cowgirls and cowboys just doing what they're doing. And, and kind of quite frankly, yeah. it's like- they're, they're roping cattle and they don't know exactly where they're dragging them. <laughs> and And we don't want to be roped. Right, we want to just keep riding because we keep bringing in those cattle. Okay, let's let's end the analogies and talk about what is in this sales playbook. So we're growing our sales organization. So I really had to. It was a great time because we've done different things for different clients, but we hadn't until recently tried to organize them into one fashion. So the first thing is being able to communicate about your company in one place. So 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 you're talking about your mission, your vision, your values, and and why you do what you do. Yes, exactly. It's about having it all organized so when you can onboard somebody, that's really what the playbook is. And the first thing is talking about the why you do what you do, the purpose. And you guys have plenty of episodes, but I find, and I think you find, and I even think that Jim finds, that in this day and age, you always have competition. But if you really have social proof of what your culture is and your sales team is communicating on that, right there, that sets a difference on who you're selling to. So yeah, the why you do what you do. And then breaking it out to who are you targeting, that ideal customer profile, that ideal buyer type, and then the things that they have to know, what services you provide, what is available to them in terms of tools and technology to use, compensation. I mean, it's really about job descriptions because you need to set people up for success. So you're really talking about handing over a playbook to somebody that, you know, page one, here's our mission, page two, here's our vision. And then you go through what are those buyer types so that that salesperson isn't roping the wrong cow, I guess you would say. Exactly. And then also... Sorry, you know, I had to bring it back to the to the cowboy analogy. <laughs> but And then I, I'm just going to go along with that analogy is how many cows are in the stable? Because I think it's about the goals. That's really the next thing is kind of... It's great to have something all documented in terms of process. But the other thing is our clear goals established. And if you will allow me, we have been through painful processes to become very firm in this. We literally have people that say, I want to be, you know, 50 million in five years. I'm like, that's great. 
right. How are we going to do that? Right. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I've got I've got two thoughts as far as this goes. The one goes back to um, there's a gentleman that you know I follow some of his teaching, Dave Ramsey, and he talks about in his organization that he set up the sales guy, and the sales guy said, you know, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars this year, and you know he checked back in with him in in a month, and he's like, you still on board to make that hundred thousand? Guy's like, yeah, I'm going to, and I'm probably butchering the story. Yeah, I'm going to make that hundred thousand, and Dave goes, no, you're not. He was like, what do you mean? No, I'm not. He's like, you're not making the number of calls that you need in order to generate $100,000 in sales. So you're not going to make it. And it really is. You need to break that down into what are the pieces that it's going to take in order to achieve it. So perfect. Hold that thought for one second, but let's not forget it, folks, about the number of calls and what metrics we're measuring. But I want to break this down really clear for our own organization. It's taken us the past few years. You know, we are now, a, we're a GGBO company, we're open book management, and we're really trying to even better forecast and knowledge is power. It's painful, <laughs> but it's power. So we're able to identify, and everybody does, no matter what your business is, is what can we expect in 2018 that is contracted or legacy parts? Or what do you know is that you are 90% sure that you've got this? And then this gets a little harder. What can you anticipate that growth to be from the current clients you have? And then you put a number on that, okay? So it's like, you know, a million dollars is going to be, we have contracted, and then we think that we're going to grow it by whatever, 25% for, you know, the current clients. And, and there has to be some guesstimates and guesstimate forecasting. And then that really becomes what's left is your new business goal, accounting for attrition, blah, blah, blah. New clients. Right. You're speaking the love language of my COO and controller who always tries to push our salesmen to put together budgets, make projections on what your sales is going to be, do some forecasting. And the one thing that that we've realized over the years is that one of the ways to differentiate between an account manager and a true salesperson is, can you actually forecast what you're going to generate? Because I believe that the account manager, and there's a place for an account manager. Account managers are very valuable. And I would say that we need to have very good account managers as well as we need to have very good salespeople. But going back to the whole cowboy analogy, you know, the account manager develops new client acquisition by falling into a pile of poo. He doesn't actually get out there and generate that business. He's just like, oops, I just fell into this new business. My you know, contact went from company A to company B, and now all of a sudden I'm getting new business. Well, that's not a strategy. You know what I mean? Because you can't control those things. Right. There's, But I'm just going to push back a little bit because I think from the first thing, it has to start from the top. So your sales team and everybody's sales team has to know that the organization knows we're going to have this much. We think that by looking at your over your historical data, we've grown our current customers by 25% year over year. So we have a benchmark. Yes. And then this is new business. And then these are your territories or whatever it is in salesperson XYZ. So you need to give people an opportunity to start from, right? That's why there's sales management and sales managers. And then from there, you are allowing, because there's a lot of renegade salespeople because nobody's ever really managed them well, right? Oh, so, no, there's no, and they love to not being managed well, but they, they need to be. And, but and but I, I think it's only because they've never been given structure. I think it's no different than, you know, employees they found in staff are no different than children. Everybody requires structure and within the structure, they do well. But yeah, it's, it's like they don't want it, but once, once they get it and they see the benefits and what it produces, that's when they're like, yeah, you know what? I wish we had this five years ago. It, and it's very, very hard to start. And then I think it also 
empowers sales team and the entire organization to also know. So now we've looked at historical data. We know what we're going to do in 2018. And we're going to look at now how we're going to manage growth three years and five years. And what are all the pieces that fall into that? So am I breaking down those three buckets, which is, you know, your current contracted clients? Yes. That's the business that you can bank on. So that's your blanket order. If you're a, you know, Swiss shop, maybe you're making, you know, a hundred thousand of these parts a month um, and you've got a three-year contract or maybe in the case of a job shop, you're contracted on a blanket to make three parts a month. So that's one bucket. And then you've got your current client forecasts. So that's the stuff that you don't have a blanket order on, but you can depend on this customer to come to you for, you know, X number of dollars per year. Typically, let's give some examples of that, and maybe you guys can help me out. But we know that sometimes, you know, somebody's been working on a part and it's been in prototyping, and you know it's ready to go into full production. You can forecast that. Mm-hmm. You can forecast. You had just talked about there was an industry that was kind of tanking, and you know that they're making a turn. So then maybe you can forecast that. You've been if somebody's been nurturing an account for a while, and you know X, Y, and Z. So yes, it's good old fashioned export your freaking data and look at all of your active customers and guesstimate. And you know what's so funny? When and then we- the third, can I, if I can just interject, Julie, just to, you know, kind of close that out, the third bucket is those, those new clients, which I know, you know, that's kind of the point of a lot of what we're talking about is how to bring on those new clients. Well, yeah. And then what happens is you have to look at what is left to get to your goal. And then we've done some financial modeling to see like, okay, well, if we brought in X new clients all in January and with the staff that we have or whatever your resource limitations are, what can we do? So it's about putting together really realistic new acquisition goals that are in line with what your operations can do as well. Okay. So I've got my numbers and I figured out for the next year, for the next three years, for the next five years, what I'm going to forecast for you know, current client contracted, current client forecasted, and new client acquisition. Now, how do I... It's great to sit down at the end of the year and you're like, this is what we're going to do in 2018 or this is what we're going to do, you know, by 2020. But it's another thing three months later, six months later, you know, when it's kind of gotten a little bit muddy and, you know, you're fighting fires and and a new client came on that you you didn't think was going to come on now, came online or another client's industry took a tank. I mean, we've we've dealt with that before where your relationship with the client is stellar. You've got 100% of the business, but... The industry goes in the toilet and, and you know, it could be oil and gas, could be firearms, could be automotive, it could be any of those industries. And, and it just could take a tank because of political reasons, which you didn't forecast. So three to six months later, how do you make sure that you're still like kind of moving along that trajectory of, of achieving those goals? So great, because let's just say the best laid plan. I don't know what the rest of that adage is, but this is a guesstimate. Forecasting is really like pulling it out of your ass. And once you realize you've pulled it out of your ass, then you can. At least be self-aware as what you're moving with. But how do you measure against that? And so, and this is where a CRM is really helpful. We, you know, we started measuring certain things and now we're measuring more. And I actually had someone push back on me. Well, why do we have to, you know, I, I push back and then somebody else push back. But it's really interesting to start capturing how many leads, how many calls people are making, how many meetings, how many proposals, how many wins, losses. We also track no action because sometimes people just aren't aren't ready, right? So you didn't really lose it. So going back to the story that I told you can figure out based on historical data if you're going to close that client 
based on the number of calls that you're making. Or if you're going to close, you know, 10 clients, you're not going to close 10 clients if you only make 10 calls. You're going to have to make 100 calls or 200 calls or whatever the number is in your business in order to achieve that sale. You need to be able to track what you're doing. And I think in the mindset of the sales people, you have to pivot that this isn't, we're not trying to babysit you. It is No, we're trying to teach them a, fal- a methodology and a, and a strategy for achieving your own goals. And... It's also about using historical data to put owners in line who think that things are magical, too. It's about both. It's about using historical to say what is achievable. Because I think in any organization, people are crushed. We hate, we talk about being spirit crushers. We are all spirit crushers and and don't want to be. We want to be spirit lifters. So it's about understanding sales cycle and how long it takes to go from a lead to an opportunity, an opportunity to sale. What is your closing ratio? What is your sales cycle? So leading back up to that, you have individual sales goals that are, I I don't want to say just achievable. I have a stretch too, but are are managed goals. So upon first glance and, you know, listening to this, it's a little overwhelming. I have to be honest with you. So is there a way, like, let's talk about your average machining company. You know, they've, let's just say they've got 10 people working for them. They don't have a CRM system, but they want to start to close new clients. How can we simplify this in a way that it's easy to grasp? It's easy to make this real and at least start moving in this direction. And maybe they can start some basic strategies for the next year and then move on to a CRM system the next year. Well, just make a spreadsheet or a Google Doc. I mean, we like using a Google Doc. And And start tracking the number of, you know, put your leads on there, start tracking the number of times that you call them, the number of um, meetings that you have with them and all all that. Let's be honest, some of these people, you don't have a lot, tons of accounts, right? Right. So it's achievable to do it on a spreadsheet if you have to. I would push back and I would say, look at what your ERP has because there might be stuff in your ERP. And I would also push back and say there are some CRMs that are very affordable to do it. Why recreate the wheel if somebody's already doing it? But yes, it's just about measuring some of those things that we talked about today. Okay, so let's move on to the other bucket, which is technology. And we we kind of touched on it a little bit with the CRM. How can we use technology in order to, I guess, accelerate these efforts or to make these efforts easier, more productive? Okay, so the first thing is, and this is, again, goes back to the mind shift to get people to adapt to technology who don't want to adapt to technology, is it takes you twice as long to manually be looking at your calendar and your email and this and that. <laughs> and that's not where we want salespeople to be spending their time. So that's one of the reasons why you would want to use a CRM. Additionally, there are other technologies out there that really inform you and build an infrastructure for you to be more efficient. If you're in a situation where you are using a manufacturer's reps, are your sales tools available to them so they can slap on their logo and it doesn't just look crappy? So do you have a digital asset management system or some type of portal so all of your sales tools are available to your salespeople or your manufacturing reps? And they have the ability to version them. And and let's, you know, again, talking, you know, in a very simplified format, your digital asset management system could just be a Dropbox folder with high resolution images of your logo and your and your assets and your sales playbook and, and, Absolutely. and all that kind of stuff. It could be just a cloaked page on your website, like a portal. It could be a folder on your server. But I just don't think that people think about organizing those to make it easy for them. One of the other really cool tools out there right now is a reverse IP lookup. Lead Forensics is one, for, for instance. That will tell you who's on your website. It won't tell you who it is. 
is, but it'll tell you someone from Siemens, and then it'll give you the opportunity to, you know, pay for a contact or and, something. And a lot of times, these are really easy plugins. Like, yes. you know, the majority of the websites out there are WordPress websites, and there's a lot of plugins that you could just plug right into WordPress, or if you have a more sophisticated platform, they, they should These are have all these. open source. You can use them for pretty much any website. But the thing I just want to caution people to, and caution again, owners per se, is these aren't leads. This is somebody just looked at your house and took the, you know, in front of when you're selling your house and they go and they open that little thing and they they pull the little flyer out. That is somebody that is just looking. It's not a lead. And they don't want you to know who they are. Right. But what it is, is I like to call it sales insights. So if you're a salesperson and you have like 25 business cards on your desk looking at you, who do you call? I call the guy that I know that was just on the website. What else do I know? I know he was on the page of you know this industry or this part. Or so, going back to our previous conversation, if you know that via the reverse IP lookup that somebody from Siemens was on your website and somebody from Siemens just connected with you on LinkedIn, reach out to that person. Exactly. You know, it's about prioritizing. Yeah, if they go on a certain page on your website without being creepy, maybe just send them an email on LinkedIn and say, you know, hey, you know, just want to let you know we, you know, maybe they went on your uh, page that showed your capacity, you know, your machines exactly. or something like that. And just say, hey, you know, just so you know, we're reinvesting in new machines. We, we're going to have some extra capacity. Maybe you want to consider, you know, sending us an RFQ. I like to say use Big Brother for good and not evil. I think that's one of the things. The other thing you can and take that a step further. If let's say you start collecting a larger number, if you remember on our last episode with Dan, they were, t- or Natalie, I don't know who was t- talking about, is you could then actually do some LinkedIn advertising by company names. And we love about, you know, when you're That's just popping up in front of people and you're just staying top of mind. The bottom line of sales is keeping top of mind when somebody is, you know, has a new project or is pissed off at their current vendor. Yeah. I mean, you can actually go on to LinkedIn and say, I want to advertise to only people that work at Siemens and have a, a title of engineer in their in their profile. I mean, you can be that granular with them. And then the other thing I think people have heard of, but and, and it's getting great adoption, but it, it really needs to even go further, is the marketing automation platforms. People are probably very familiar with HubSpot. We use HubSpot. We, we're kind of platform agnostic because we try to pick the right platform for the right people. We use a, a tool called Autopilot because it has a little bit less of a licensing fee than HubSpot. But the wonderful thing, if you can wrap your head around what marketing automation is, first of all, everybody hears me say, I hate the word marketing automation. I call it schmautomation because it takes a lot of intelligence to get it automated. But what the beautiful thing is, is once somebody comes to your website, then instead of having like your old monthly newsletter, they're served up information that's relevant to where they are in the buying experience, decision-making experience. So whether they're just investigating or whether they're an actual client. Absolutely. And, you know, the old adage is it takes like seven times, you know, that people go to your website before they even download anything. And then I really want to talk about something that's becoming more crucially important too, is are your systems integrated? So is your website talking to your CRM and your CRM talking to your ERP? That's when you're fully integrated. And that's when, you know, we're always asked about ROI. And until we can tell you how many leads turned into opportunities that turn into sales, you will never know what you're your ROI is. Yeah, you, you need to know that that, that person that went on your website and filled out a contact form that went into the CRM system. And then from the CRM system, it was tagged in your ERP system so that when they spend a half a million dollars with you, 
hey, that came from some of the marketing that you put into place. Yeah, it, you can start tracking what campaigns and really be more efficient. So that way, when you make decisions in your overall corporate budgeting, you'll say to yourself, well, I generated X in business from my marketing effort, so I need to ramp this up for next year. Well, Julie, this has been great. I, once again, learned a lot from you. I need to put together the sales playbook for sure. And, and you know, I've got all the components, but I don't have it in a quote-unquote sales playbook, but I'm, I'm going to do that. And we're already going through a process of being more team-oriented with our sales process. So making our hunters, or as I like to call them, hustlers, actual salespeople and have our account managers who'd rather be an account manager do that function. And then, of course, we've got our third bucket, which is our technical and project managers. So this has been great. I learned a lot. And I always appreciate you coming to talk to the metalworking nation and helping them to grow their company. So kind of tying it all together, I think that many of us really focus sometimes on what we're not doing right. And that's not what this episode is. I think people think like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. The whole essence of making chips is to equip and inspire and really just kind of be able to give the nuggets. Most people aren't doing it. That's what I want to say. Most people aren't. And, that's great And, and you can start doing it nugget by nugget. And as we do things, we'll share tools with you. And we love to get questions and feedbacks and encourage that as well. Yeah, I think that is a great closing comment, Julie, is that don't feel like you're behind the times because you're not doing these things because there's a lot of people, most people are not doing these things, but use this as kind of a push to take action, a little bit of action this year in order to bring yourself more in line with some of these techniques that we've talked about. So Julie, thank you. Hey, Jason, you know, I am so excited about IMTS coming in September. I said, you know, I was on their website the other day, and man, they've got all these conferences. And, you know, I know just the guy to talk to at AMT to give me all the answers. And, you know, I, I've got his phone number here. I'm just going to ring him up real quick. So hang on. Hello, this is Bill. Hey, Bill, Jim Carr with Making Chips. How are you this afternoon, man? I'm doing good, Jim. How's it going over there? You know, I'm really good. Put out a few fires this morning at Car Machine and Tool, but I'm ready to rock and roll. And Jason and I are in the studio, and we thought we'd call you to get some answers on the conferences that are going to be happening during IMTS in September. I'm your guy. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's I'm your what guy. I, just so everyone knows who I'm talking to, I'm talking to Bill Herman, and he is the director of international exhibitions and sponsorship at AMT, who is the facilitator of IMTS. Bill has worked at AMT in this capacity for over six years. But Bill, why don't you tell Jason and I and the listeners just what your experience is with exhibitions and sponsorship? Well, exactly right. I've got about 30 years of experience in producing events in the U.S. and around the world. And coincidentally, probably about 18 of that has been in the machine tool field. Been doing regional shows around the U.S., did some things in Mexico, and, and for the last decade, between the Distributors Association and now AMT, I've been working on IMTS. That's awesome. So are you involved in worldwide exhibitions as well? Can you elaborate? Exactly right. Bill, what other places in the world do you go to to put on these manufacturing shows and conferences? Well, in my career, I've worked in about 22 countries. Wow. Here with AMT, I'm taking people into primarily into shows in Brazil, 
India and China, and then also guiding them into events in Japan and Mexico. Very cool. IMTS, or AMT, I should say, organizes USA pavilions at the largest shows in Brazil, India, and China, more than one show in China. So we're trying to give our members another opportunity if they're seeking international markets the trade shows can be an easy way for them to meet people and get familiar with the conditions. Absolutely. And that's one of the big reasons why I love going to IMTS every other year is because it's all of those things. It's, you know, equipping, inspiring, engaging, and networking. And it's just brings us a world of value to attend the show. But more importantly, Bill, I want to ask you, you know, I was on the IMTS.com site just today, as a matter of fact, and, and I saw the conferences that you're offering at the show. Can can you elaborate a little bit about what some of the people can expect and sign up for? Yeah, absolutely. There's there's really two different distinct tracks. Okay. There is the, capital T, the IMTS conference, which is the longest of all the events. It's a four-day conference organized by AMT, but really managed by our friends at GIE Media. That session alone has over 70 tracks presented by experts from within our contracted exhibitors. Collectively, it's got about 70 hours of deep dive sessions, technical deep dives. And that one's put on over four days. So this is one four-day conference. Absolutely right. Runs Monday through Thursday. And exhibitors, or excuse me, visitors can buy either a one-day pass or a four-day pass for the IMTS conference. I'm looking and it looks like there's four different agendas probably per day. One is manufacturing process innovations. The next one is alternative additive manufacturing. And then the third one, plant operations. And the fourth and final one is quality inspection and metrology. So Yeah. And those are sprinkled throughout the four days. We don't want to make it so that somebody coming on day three can't see some of the manufacturing process. So the way that they do it at GIE is they move the speakers around and sprinkle the topics across the four days So no matter what day you're there, you can get a sample of those big bucket topics. Good information, really good information. Is it something that happens from like 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., or what are the hours that this conference is going on? Yeah, typically we start around 9.30 in the morning and wrap it up by about 4 or 4.30. We, We do take a break for lunch, and all the conference passes include a voucher for people to go get a little bit of lunch and go see the exhibits. The people that buy the four-day pass are usually dropping in on one or two sessions a day and then going out on the show floor in between, kind of a tell and show. You know, they'll get a little bit of technical information, then they'll go out on the floor and see it in action. Is it a classroom-style conference or or is it Exactly right. It's a classroom style, and I Mm -hmm. I would imagine there's going to be speakers every day as well. There are. There's over 70 different presenters across the four days. Wow. And the sessions can range from having, you know, 35 people into maybe 110, but it's nothing overwhelming. It's not a large seminar with thousands. We try to make it so that it can be interactive and people can ask questions that are specific to their business. Sure. And what is what does that four-day pass cost, Bill? One day is 275, the four-day 475. But the cool thing is, There's a bunch of co-located conferences with us. They're not owned by AMT. They're not produced by AMT, but they're partners that are very credible in our industry that are presenting relevant topics. And so we've got a series of combo passes, combination passes that you can buy that could let you attend IMTS 
plus some of those other co-located conferences if you wanted to. You tell me a little bit about the co-located conferences and how, how do I get the biggest bang for my buck out of all this? So, you know, I would really like to sign up for some of these because some of these topics look really, really good and would really be able to equip me as a manufacturing leader. Tell me a little bit about the co-located conferences. Right. There's six different ones that go on. Some of them produced by our friends at Gardner Business Media, who produce Modern Machine Shop. Sure. They've got a day and a half conference on the Additive Manufacturing Conference, is what it's called, the Additive Manufacturing Conference, pretty straightforward. Yeah. And they also do their Top Shops, which is often one of their books during the year where they fill people in on what the leading shops are doing, what their processes are and standards. They've got a conference now, a one-day conference specific to Top Shops. Great way to go in and hear what people are doing that maybe you want to be a part of. Maybe you want to model some of their processes. So that's a a new one they're doing this year. Following that, the Additive Manufacturing Conference that Gardner does runs from all day Tuesday till noon on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And then EOS, the 3D company, is doing a half-day session that they called Applied AM, Applied Additive Manufacturing where Additive Minds Meet, that picks up on Wednesday at noon and runs until five. And then they've got a reception in the afternoon. So there's two really great days on Additive um, with a lot of different insights, whether it's technical experts or user studies from EOS. It's really good information there. One of the others or two of the others are produced by Hanover, which is a Hanover Mesa is a partner in IMTS. As you know, they've got several co-located shows at IMTS. They're producing two different conference tracks. The GAMS, which is the Global Automation Manufacturing Summit, covers a lot of those connectivity issues that we're all dealing with, connected manufacturing, digital manufacturing. Like digitization of the machine shop or something like that. Exactly right. right. Yeah, Yeah. more and more. that's That's a hot button topic, let me tell you. Everyone's talking about it. Exactly. And then they've got their integrated industries track, which is a little bit of a combination of some of their surfaces some of the vacuum technology, some of the fluid power. So they've got the integrated industries track and their GAMS track that they're doing on different days. And then the group Laser Institute of America does an industrial laser conference, which is you know a small niche product, but very, very cool in our industry, mm-hmm. presented by the experts. Again, they're bringing in people that are using these lasers, both the manufacturers and end users. And they've got a one-day conference on lasers in our industry, the Industrial Laser Conference. So that's a cool thing too. That was added in 2016 and we'll repeat again this year. Awesome. So just to confirm, all of these conferences, these educational conferences are going to be on the premises at McCormick Place every day of the show. Exactly right. Well, Monday through Thursday. Monday through Monday Thursday. Monday through Thursday. Okay. Yep. And, but and you don't have to go off-site for any of it. You're you 100% not. right. So if I'm staying right at the hotel right there at uh, McCormick Place, I don't have to get in my car. I don't even have to put a coat on if it's cold out. I can walk right to it. You have no reason to experience fresh air. <laughs> Well, maybe at night I'd like to go out and grab a beer or something. But So how can people register for these, Bill? Go online on the imts.com site. And the easiest place to find complete information, you know, we've got a series of drop-down menus across the top of the site. Go to the Why Attend drop-down menu. Great. And from inside of there, click on Conferences. 
and that'll take you to the IMTS conference, capital T and the. Okay. And then within that, over on the right, you'll also see another drop-down menu that says conferences co-located at IMTS. So you can get the full story on all of those others and then click over on how to register for them as well. And all the pricing is right there on your site and everything else. It tells you the days, times, where to show up and everything else. Exactly right. And each of those conferences also includes an email address. If you have a very specific question, if you want to see whether this is really right for you, there's a contact that you can email and ask a very detailed question to see whether this relates to your business and whether it's what you think it is. So we don't want anybody to be fooled. We want everybody going in knowing exactly what they're getting into. And, you know, last year we had over 3,000 people attend these conferences and collectively between the IMTS and the co-located conferences, there were nearly 160 different sessions that took up over 150 hours. So it's really a comprehensive array of topics and experts that are presenting during that week. It sounds absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we recently spoke with Peter Eelman, and he told us that this is going to be the largest IMTS show in the history of IMTS. And I am super excited. He was telling us that there's already, like a month ago, 57,000 nights of rooms had already been pre-booked already through the IMTS website. So I encourage everybody, get to IMTS.com, register for the show, Find your hotel. There's a lot of discounted pricing on their site. And then by all means, look at these conferences that Bill and I are just communicated to you. I highly recommend signing up for those and equipping and inspiring you so you can bring back relevant information to your manufacturing company. Uh, Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I look forward to seeing you in September in Chicago. You know, Making Chips is going to be there every day on the Grand Concourse stage doing a show. So I'm sure our paths will cross by. I look forward to it. Thanks for calling, Jim. You're welcome. So, Jim... You know, that was a lot of information, and I want to ask you to summarize what you heard. But before you even go there, I want to give the Metalworking Nation some information. So Julie made the statement, the best laid plans, and then she was like, well, that was some kind of saying. So I actually looked it up. And the actual quote is, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. And what that means is, there was a guy that wrote a poem when he was plowing his field. This was in like the 1700s. And he ran over a mouse nest. And it was right before the wintertime. And he wrote this poem about it because basically the mice had spent all of like the summer and fall putting this nest together so that they can stay warm during the wintertime. And then in one fell swoop, this guy just smashes the nest and these mice are going to be you know homeless for the rest of winter and probably die and it's kind of a good Aww. analogy as it relates to sales because sometimes things don't go as planned and you know we've talked about this a lot of times and julie is a good friend and she's really intelligent and she knows her stuff well and, and you do too jason and you know i had to commend both of you you both have been very instrumental to me and in helping me identify issues in my own business But at the end of the day, our businesses are different. First and foremost, I want everyone to know that my business isn't like anybody else's out there. Even if you own a small machine shop, it's different. We're all different. We're all different. We're all different. We're all different. We all serve a customer that that wants something different. Right. And, you know, we're just trying to provide the resources to do better. And whatever that is for you out there, that's great. Always remember, marketing is the bright light that 
gets you noticed. It makes people look at you. And then sales is the the sales people, the maybe it's you that takes those leads from marketing and they turn into prospects and warm leads and then hopefully Close the they'll deal. transition into sales, a sale revenue. And then lastly is if you get a lot of that going on, you got growth and how do you manage that? So th- this is a very difficult thing to discuss because it's multifaceted and there's a lot of different iterations within it. And tell us what you learned. So what I what I learned is a long time ago, and I've heard many, many people, many of my peers say this, and not just you and Julie, it's all about metrics and knowing your numbers because the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. Sometimes I mean, you could have the numbers wrong. Sometimes they can be. They they're not going to be skewed too much. You know what they I mean? They don't lie. They're, they don't lie. And the better you are at retention of numbers through technologies like ERP, CRM, all of those things, or you're setting up benchmarks, data. you're setting yep. metrics, you're, you've got data to look at. So you know what your sales were in 2010, 11, 12, 13, whatever the case may be. And then you you know how much money you spent in marketing. You know of that money you spent in marketing, how much turned into a warm lead or a lead or a prospect or whatever revenue. It's all about how much time and effort you want to spend in going through those numbers. And what I have learned from you and Julie and a lot of other intelligent people within our industries is the better you are at taking down metrics and recording it, sharing it with your team and sharing it with yourself and being honest about it is going to be your best solution. And that's the simplest of terms that I can take away again from this discussion. Can I add one one thing? Oh, to I that? want so, you to. I so want you to. I would it, also. It, it's fifty percent your show too, right? Yeah, I, I would also add to that. The better that you can use the data or the numbers as you're putting it there, and use it to take action, I think is where you're going to have the most success. Right, and I, I don't want people to get really hung up on this, or scared, or frightened, or you know, intimidated by all of this, but we always say, Jason and I, you know, take it day by day, baby steps forward, don't freak out about it, and just start putting in very small pieces together. And I guarantee that you will start seeing some successes of your labor. Great. All right. Another nice episode with Julie Poulos. I can't wait to interview her for me. And I would just ask the Metalworking Nation, tell us you know, how you're aligning your sales and marketing. And if you've got something that you can add to this conversation, Jim and I would love to hear from you. Yeah, you know how to get a hold of us. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution, and many of them are at makingchips.com. Um, how do you guys manage growth at, at Car Machine and Tool? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> did I catch you by surprise with that one? You did. <laughs> well, don't you buy more tools or buy more machine tools? <laughs> Hire more people? <laughs> you can just say I'm a little, you know, basic. And-